0: You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at South Christ Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Now go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, as Tony mentioned earlier, we're, we're continuing our series through the book where we're going through every book of the Bible. And today we're gonna to primarily focus on The book of Song of Songs, Song of Psalms. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Um, (laughs) It's already starting, man. (laughs) My my fellow pastor brethren have been, uh, they've been messing with me a lot this week about things I should not say in this sermon. And I've told them, there's just no promises, okay? So like, can we just go ahead and agree to laugh a little bit together? Y'all okay for that? Good, all right, I got a few yeses, thank you. Um, if you, by the way, if you ask why, why you focus on Song of Solomon versus Ecclesiastes, it's because probably most of us have not heard a sermon in the, like all about really, the book of the Song of Songs. Um, this morning, our, we always had like, a prayer meeting before the service starts, and Pastor David's uh, primarily in Ecclesiastes this morning. He said, what passage in Ecclesiastes are you? I said, well, I'm in the Song of Solomon, he said. <laughs> Well, either you're brave or an idiot. I don't know. <laughs> and so that's, uh, that's true. But yeah, I, I was thinking about this, uh, the, the title for this morning. And so we've got our title slot, the best song ever. Um, I was kind of going back and forth. Like I thought about the title like, bow, chicka, wow, wow. But I was like, that could be weird right on the screen. And so then I was like, well, you know, it, it's, it's poetic, it's artistic. So we could do something kind of like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, that, that kind of encapsulates it, but it's also so much about just romance and, and love and, and long-term commitment, kind of like. It's pretty good. I'm super glad you guys are married, by the way, okay? (laughs) Making me nervous up here. Um, (laughs) I'm too too immature for this, all right. And, And then, you know, I thought, that's such a pretty song, such a good title, but if we're honest, the book really is, it really is about sex. So then I was like, well, maybe it should be like, (laughs) And I thought that would be too far, right? Like, be too far. So maybe something that really just like hints at how it's just about two people, the love between two people, kind of (laughs) like. Give it up for David and Allie. (laughs) As good as all those songs are, uh, this, the Song of Songs, it really is the, the best song ever. And so, well, we could sing songs all day, and that would be fun. We're going to go with this title, The Best Song Ever. I remember uh, the church I was at before coming here, I was in Itasca, Texas, and uh, we were going to do a little series, not quite like this, but um, anyways, a little series on dating and relationships and all that. And I mentioned, so I'm on the platform, I'm looking out there, and I mentioned that we were going to be... Uh, doing this, and I, and I referenced the Song of Songs and how it 's a, a book all about romance and love and sex and no lie. I see this seventh grade boy look at his friend and for the first time ever in church, reach forward and grabbed the Bible. <laughs> and I was like, "Revival is happening. The Lord is moving." Um, it was a small enough church that I called him out. I was like, "Bro, I totally see you right now. <laughs> like you're so weird. Anyways, um, we 're going to have a good time. I think it's a win this morning if you just leave here knowing, understanding that God created sex. It's a gift from Him and it's a good thing between a man and a woman in marriage. If you leave with like, "Hey, I heard in church that God made sex and it's a good thing," I'll be I'll be pumped. So we're gonna stop right now. And no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, that th- that would be a win because the reality is. So many Christians feel like there's no, um, they feel like sex and Christianity have nothing to do with each other, right? It feels like the world has this, has sexuality or sex kidnapped. So let's, let's take it back to where it should be. And sex is from God and the Bible actually talks about it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All the men are excited this morning. It's funny. <laughs> um. Here's a little different style this morning. We're gonna walk through some questions uh, that will lead us to the text. But because, honestly, it's such an unfamiliar book, we're gonna spend a a good bit of time in some kind of introductory material. So, uh, going through the questions. First one, what does the title mean? So some of your texts say on the the header, it says the Song of Solomon. Others say the Song of Songs. Uh, I prefer the title the Song of Songs, even though mine says the Song of Solomon, because if you look at chapter one, verse one, it says, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. So that's where they get the Song of Solomon idea. But I, I really think the true title is the Song of Songs. And it's, that's a Hebrew way of saying this is the best song ever. It's a superlative. So there, there's no better song than this. This is the song. You ever track it with me? That's the idea. That's where that phrase, the title comes from. All right, moving on. So who wrote it? Most... Most everybody, if they've not studied it, um, and even a lot of people that have studied it, when you ask them who wrote the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs, your first guess is, well, Solomon, right? And that is a a traditional view. A a lot of people still hold that today. A lot of people have held that in the past. Um, I actually personally, keyword personally, uh, don't think that Solomon wrote it. Could he have? Sure. A couple of reasons why I don't think that Solomon wrote it. First of all, I already upset somebody, I'm kidding. Um, First of all, the fact that the Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, talks so much about the, the, um, the love between a man and the exclusive, that's what I was looking for, the exclusive love between one man and one woman, I feel like it makes Solomon kind of an odd candidate. Why? The dude had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Like ladies that he had on the side just to sleep with for like for fun quote like so the idea that yeah, Solomon just was all about this like one man one woman relationship I just kind personally struggle with that because like he did not follow that if if he did it's definitely a do as I say not as I do does that make sense because that's not what Solomon did um, so where it says the Song of Songs which is Solomon's the reality is he was kind of literally and figuratively the king of wisdom literature so it could be in that it's it's of Solomon, it's in his wisdom, poetic tradition. Or it could be of Solomon in the sense that he, maybe he oversaw, supervised the writing of this or even in honor of Solomon. So it's of Solomon, it's to him, for him, if that makes sense. I think if he did write it, I think, if he did wrote it, write it I, I think, if he did wrote it, need to relax a little bit. <laughs> I think if he did write it, I think the best, most likely situation was maybe he wrote it at the end of his life looking back on what he wished he had had because God's ways are best. Does that make sense? Um, Just a little, hopefully that's helpful there. What is it? So what is this book? Well, it's a collection of love poems. It's a collection of love poems. I love what Philip Riken. he is a um, seminary president and has several books on reading the Bible as literature. Really brilliant man. He says, Listen, to talking about the Song of Songs. He says, listen to its message as you would listen to the playlist for the dance at a wedding reception. If we read the Song of Songs as a short story, we'll be frustrated by its lack of clarity. But if we read this book the way it was meant to be read, as a loose collection of love songs from a steamy romantic marriage, we will enter its joy. So again, some of your texts, the... the. Um, Non God inspired like headings and things. Sometimes it, it lays it out like it's supposed to be a narrative. I think if you try to read it as a narrative, it's super frustrating because this is more like the anybody old enough, like my age, roller coaster of love. Anybody? Remember that song? <laughs> yeah, I see a few head nods. Yeah, I should have had David. I know I can't sing. Um, it's kind of, it kind of has that feel, which is that's how love works, right? Love is this roller coaster of emotion, it doesn't always have really clear direction. That's how the Song of Songs. Works. And some people will say, like, well, maybe there is this narrative when they get married. I think when we try to follow that, it's, it's super, super difficult. I love what the Bible Project says about this book and under this idea of what is it. It says, the Song of Songs presents Bible readers with many riddles and wonderful puzzles. And the point, it seems, is not just to solve them with the right answer. Rather, a book like this one invites us into a wonderful world of idyllic gardens and youthful love. It's a book full of bliss. And unless we let it enchant us and draw us into the wonder of the human experience of love and delight, we are sorely missing the point. Well said. Next point, next question to consider Who is it about? Who is it about? Varying opinions. I'm in the camp that says it's about a married couple, even, even from the beginning, though it may talk about some of their engagement and things like that. I believe it's about a married couple. Other folks say it's about a couple who's engaged and then ends up getting married. The the trouble I have with, with this camp, though I think it still falls in line of, of making sense, I think the trouble with the idea of they were engaged and then got married in the, in the Song of Songs. One problem is, it's super hard to follow that narrative. Like a lot of people say, well, they got married in chapter three or four, or maybe in chapter eight. The problem is if you read it in chapters one and two, they'd be doing some stuff. You know what I mean? So like, if they're not married yet, maybe we should talk about what they were doing. I don't know. You tracking with me? So that's why I lean towards, they were, from the beginning, a married couple. Um, and also that lines up with the rest of scripture in that sex, physical pleasure, between a man and a woman, is reserved for marriage. I do wanna point out, just because of the way our, our culture is, um, it's also very obvious as you read through the book, it's about a man and a woman in a marriage relationship. Um, obviously, there are all sorts of prohibitions against homosexuality throughout the entirety of Scripture, but here in a book that is all about love and romance and sex, if, and he's not, But if, hear me clear, if God was for homosexuality or was okay with it, he sure missed a good opportunity to okay it in this book. The reality is he's not okay with it. He's not for it. Y'all with me? Sex, love, romance is for a man and a woman in a marriage relationship, not a man and a man, a woman and a woman. All right. Why is it in the Bible? We're almost to the part where we're going to start digging into some really fun text here. <laughs> but why is it in the Bible? A few things. Number one, God created sex, so it makes sense that He would talk about it in His book. God created sex. That's why it's in the Bible. It's not like, <laughs> it's not like humans are down here having sex, and God's like, wait, what are they doing down there? Are those weird, what like. Wait, that does that? What the world? Like, no. <laughs> he knows all about it. I actually wrote this down not to say this because I've said it before. and it's such, it's, it's such a lame dad joke, but God, because he created sex, he's the sexpert, right? Yeah, so bad, so bad. I should've listened to myself. Future self, don't say that, all right. I have a chance to redeem myself at 11. All right. Number two, probably won't. (laughs) Number two, why is it in the Bible? God desires and delights in us living a full and wise life. God desires and delights in us living a full and wise life. So if you look back to Proverbs, kind of that similar theme that God cares about every aspect of our life life and wants us to do it well and live it well and so since he created sex and it's a gift from him for married couples he gave us some instruction and the third thing why is it in the bible the fall I'm gonna gonna read this quote and then I'll give you something shorter you could write this is from uh honestly a very simple resource the ESV study bible it says the fall of mankind damaged every aspect of human lives and God's work of redemption aims to restore everything every aspect to its proper functioning. God's goal is that romantic love love, with all its potential pain and degradation should be an arena of enjoyment for his redeemed people. So if I could sum that up to a smaller phrase, why is it in the Bible? It's because God aims to restore every aspect of our lives. That's part of his redemptive plan, to restore every aspect of your life life. All right, now we're gonna move into a different section. This is where we're gonna spend the bulk of our time this morning, and what does the Song of Solomon teach us? And again, finally, i uh, been eager to get here. This is where we're gonna be digging into the text. So I'm gonna say kind of the first point that it teaches us, and then we're gonna see that truth that it's, I'm not making it up, that it's in the text. So here's the first thing. What does it teach us? The delight of desire... And the physical pleasure of sex, the delight of desire, that's a long one, sorry. And the physical pleasure of sex are gifts from God that glorify God. The delight of desire and the physical pleasure of sex are gifts from God that glorify God. And here's what you're gonna see as you're finishing writing that. Here's what you're gonna see as you read some of these passages that in the Song of Solomon, the the the, um, it being the delight, desire, the physical pleasure, it's very elevated status and celebrated status show, prove that it's a gift from God and it glorifies God. Does it make sense? So it's very evident as you read the book that man, this is something to be celebrated, this is something exciting, this is something to almost, you could say praiseworthy in a sense. So in that, it proves it's a gift from God and that it glorifies God. So let's read some of these fun passages and yes, they are fun. So, um, Let's look first at chapter two, verse three. I should say this before I even read it. Remember that Hebrew metaphor, Hebrew poetry, it's not about what you, like what you picture when you read this is gonna be all kinds of weird, okay? But it's about what it meant. And I'll explain some of that. But also, you're all, we're all smart enough, like you're gonna know what's going on here, okay? This, this is a, yeah, that's why we gave you a forewarning. All right, enough disclaimer. Verse three. This is the woman talking. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in a shadow and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Now turn to chapter four. I'm trying to give you a little taste of how it celebrates desire and sex. Chapter four, verse nine. This is the man talking. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. All right, and then one more, chapter seven, verses six through nine. How beautiful, I'll wait till you get there, sorry. I love to hear the pages turning. (laughs) How beautiful and pleasant, chapter seven, verse six, how beautiful and pleasant you are, O oh loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. Man, I don't know how I can read this without laughing. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay it hold of its fruit. O oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. <laughs> He's gonna climb up that tree and grab him some fruit. Right there in Scripture. I would take off this sweater, but you see how much I'm sweating under here. (laughs) Here's what I want you to see real quick. I kind of under this truth, some application. Sex, according to the Bible, according to God, sex is not a god, but it's certainly not gross. Sex is a gift between a man and a woman in marriage. How many lives, how many marriages have been broken because of a misunderstanding there? To this, I man, our, our culture elevates it to the God status, right? No wonder our culture is so broken. But also some in church have degraded it to this, oh, it's gross, oh, it's not really like, no, it's a gift from God. God smiles, I this sounds weird, but I don't know how else to say it. God smiles when you're caught in awe of the West Texas sunset. He smiles when you delight in helping someone in need. He smiles when you sit down with friends and family to enjoy a meal together. And he smiles when a husband and wife enjoy the good gift of sex together. And your enjoyment brings him glory. All right, second thing this book teaches us. Most couples could benefit from a little less action and a lot more talk. Thank you, Amy. I said that funny, didn't I? How's the song go? <laughs> nine, nine, nine. A little less talk and a lot more action. Right? Right? Okay, I'm looking at me so weird right now. <laughs> I went over different than I anticipated, that's all right. <laughs> Most couples could benefit from a little less action and a lot more talk. Here's what you're gonna see in a second. I'll prove it to you from the scripture. The way God designed sex is just as much about what you say as what you do. And the reality is the way I'm referencing that dumb, it's not a dumb song, but I'm being silly, is most couples, there would be more action if there was more talk. <laughs> what do I mean? Check this out. Look at chapter five, verse 10. Chapter five, verse 10 is where we'll start. This is the bride, talk, the, the woman talking about her husband. She says, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold. Ladies, anytime you wanna tell your husband he has arms that are rods of gold, he's down for that, I'm just telling you, okay? (laughs) Set with jewels. Those are the biceps, I'm sure, (laughs) His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns. My wife has never said I have alabaster columns for legs. But that's all right. <laughs> Set on bases of gold, his appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Ladies, as much as men may talk, like yeah, you know, we don't need all the talk. about This. Every single human being likes receiving a compliment, right? And certainly you could say, that's true, it's certainly true, but perhaps ladies do maybe enjoy hearing a compliment more than the man. Turn to chapter four, verse one. This is the man talking to his wife, and remember, uh, some of the metaphor of the poetry is lost on us because... We're thousands of years later. Um, but hopefully we'll get the picture. Chapter four, verse one, we're gonna go through verse seven. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Hey, real quick, guys, when's the last time you just told your wife, you're so beautiful? Not like, hey, I like that new dress, it's pretty good. <laughs> like, hey, wow, you're, you're, you're beautiful, your, uh, your eyes, excuse me, are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. The picture there is not that your hair has goats in it. Your hair, it's like, it's movement, it's flowing, right? You get the picture. <laughs> verse, two, verse two, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins. Not to be silly, but like, and that day to find a, a bride who had all her teeth, that was something. So he's like, girl, you got... <laughs> You got all your teeth. <laughs> oh man. Not not one among them has lost its young. <laughs> uh, your lips? <laughs> I got this. All right, come on here we go. Your lips are like a scarlet thread. <laughs> I'm sorry. Ah, focus, all right. Your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your bell. Your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. By the way, he, while the specific metaphors, he's talking, he's complimenting his wife in specific ways. Not like, you're pretty. <laughs> that, that's a start. But specifically, complimenting her. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Until the day breeze and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. I'm gonna come back and touch on that last statement in a second, him telling her there's no flaw in her. Now, one last passage, chapter, chapter seven, talking about um, complimenting and a little less action, and a lot more talk chapter seven, verse one. Again, the man to his wife. Even listen, he talks about her feet. How beautiful are your feet in sandals. O noble daughter, your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat. I don't recommend that one, all right? (laughs) Your belly is just a heap of wheat, girl. (laughs) (laughs) encircled with lilies. That that might work. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon, by the gate of Bathrabin. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all Your delights. Specific compliments. A little less action and a lot more talk. Married couples may lead to a little more action. (laughs) I love what um, C.J. Mahaney, he's a pastor. He has a book called Sex, Romans, and the Glory of God that is worth checking out. I'm gonna read a couple paragraphs from it because I think it's well said about what we're talking about. Keep in mind, this book is specifically written for men, but I think it certainly applies uh, to ladies as well. The whole book, talking about the Song of Songs, the whole book resonates with this sort of exotic, extravagant verbal foreplay between the lovers. Long before they begin to enjoy one another's bodies, they excite one another's minds with tender, creative speech. They model for us what it means to feel sexual passion and to articulate that passion. The best sex begins with romance and the best romance begins with the kind of speech we read in the Song of Solomon. It begins with carefully composed words. And note this well, gentlemen, he says, throughout the passages in which which one lover describes the body of the other, for the woman in Solomon's song also compliments her man, there are both beauty and brilliance and these phrases the most private emotions about the most intimate parts of the lovers body are expressed appropriately romantically erotically and tastefully there's no medical language no crudeness and no profanity anywhere in the book every word is tender and sensual and carefully composed to produce appropriate and passionate arousal when the man says "'All beautiful you are, my darling. "'There is no flaw flaw in you.'" Remember I mentioned I was gonna touch on that, him saying there's no flaw in you. And when he calls her my perfect one, what's going on is very clear. He's lavishing high praises upon his beloved in an effort to communicate her effect on him. These are expressions of his heartfelt evaluation of her. They are not based on cultural criteria. Others may not share his assessment of her beauty, but he doesn't care. This is how he sees her, and together they rejoice in that assessment. I was kind of doing some studying down in this part of the building earlier this week, and I was walking down the hallway and ended up talking with a man from our church. Um, and he was here to volunteer on a Wednesday night, and actually it's still not. Maybe it was just providential, but he started talking about his wife who's been passed away for six years now, but they were married 60 and a half years. It was cool to hear him talk about the love of his life and the beauty of his bride. I'm gonna assume that it, I think she was 79 when she passed away, that it wasn't like, oh man, whoa, what a knockout. But in his eyes, she absolutely was because of the effect she had on him Man, a lot of us will compliment our wives. Yeah, my wife's awesome. But then we pull up Michael Scott. and We're like, I would never say that to her face. <laughs> Tell your wife. Compliment her. Comment. Be specific. I love to quote CJ one more time. He says, God's design is that you touch her heart and mind long before you touch her body. I think I should read that again. God's design is that you touch your heart and mind long before you touch your body. How do you do that? How do you compliment and be specific? Three things real quick. I'm gonna, men, I really want you to write these down, but ladies, you can too. I'm gonna be quick, because I need to. Number one, be a student of your spouse. Be a student of your spouse. This is totally not weird, I promise, so I'm not gonna get weird with you. But like, well, actually, it's too late for that. um, my, my wife has blonde hair, but as she gets older, it's slightly less blonde. But anytime I call, I remind her of her blonde hair, that makes, that stirs her heart. I'm not saying we go like, get the bed. I'm just being like, that stirs her heart. I'm aware of that. She, she likes me commenting on her, her blonde hair. Does that make sense? Be a student. What makes them tick? You don't comment on her blonde hair, I will. <laughs> <laughs> The second thing, kind of similar, make a list and dwell on it. Dave Carter, C-A-R-D-E-R, um, he spent his life work on uh, counseling couples who have gone through adultery, adultery, excuse me, and then studying like how can we prevent it. And he says one of the, one of the most simple things you can do is take a month, he said this will actually uh, do crazy things for your marriage, I believe it. Take a month, and every day, write down one thing that you appreciate about your spouse physically, or just her personality, whatever. And every day you add to it and you thank God for those things. You're you're teaching yourself to dwell on the beauty or the handsomeness for the ladies uh, of your spouse. And it literally changes the wiring in your brain. It almost makes you fall back in love again. We could talk about that forever, but we don't have time. The third thing, how do you do that? How do you get to where you compliment your spouse, um, which leads to more action? Real simple, don't look at pornography. The best way to not view your spouse and have your heart stirred is to go look at pornography. I love what my doctoral professor said. He said, "The, the most sure way to ruin your life and lose everything you love is to commit adultery. And adultery oftentimes begins somewhere with pornography. There's grace, there's forgiveness. I'm not heaping shame and guilt, there it is. (laughs) But if you're caught up in that, put it away. It is robbing you of joy in your marriage. Put it away. Third thing. This book teaches us. Love, you can even say romance, is beautiful and dangerous. Love or romance is beautiful and dangerous. This is why uh, in chapter 8, verse 7, it says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly. Despised. So it says, many waters cannot quench love. It's referring back to verse six, where it talks about love as is this, is this fire. Like a fire, love, sex, romance is beautiful, but can also be dangerous. You've heard me, if you're in college or if I had you in middle school way back in the day, you may have heard me use the metaphor of the way God designed sex, it's like a fireplace. A fire in the fireplace at your house is really good. I like a good fireplace. You take that fire out of the fireplace and throw it on the living room floor, I'm gonna slap you, right? Like, what are you doing? You're gonna burn my house down. Sex inside the boundaries, the good God-given boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman is a beautiful, great thing. You take sex outside of those boundaries, it can burn your life down. That is why, over and over again, I'll just read one to you, um, where's that? Chapter eight, verse four she says, I adjure you, O oh daughter, she's saying, like, hey, please, whatever you do, listen to me. O oh daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So, and there's actually that refrain is three other times or two other times in addition to that one in the book of the Song of Songs. That the idea is to the unwed that love, sex, romance should not be forced. It should not be rushed. So don't like, oh, I just want to, I just want to get married, I just want to find somebody. Whoa, it's dangerous. Be careful. It's kind of like somebody playing with fireworks, it's like haphazard. Like, oh, let's get the fireworks sweet. And they're like, whoa, whoa. Hey, like, let's, be, let's be careful, right? That's why beer and fireworks don't go well together, <laughs> right? In a similar way, when you're all, oh, I just want to find somebody. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Love is dangerous. It's amazing, but it's dangerous. Chill out a little bit. Just, some of you this morning maybe need to chill out a little bit. <laughs> It's also beautiful. That's why verse seven ends the way it does. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. So the idea is that, like, if you, you came to me and, man, I wanna offer you the world's riches to have the love that you and Lauren share for each other. What? Like, are you trying to get shot? Like, what is wrong with you, right? You'd be despised. I won't say sorry. The man that I saw in the hall last Wednesday, if someone tried to pay him to, the love that you share with your wife for 60 and a half years, like, is there enough money I could pay you just to take and receive that? My friend is 85 years old, but he might beat you up, right? How dare you? Love is a beautiful thing, it's a treasured thing. It's dangerous, but it is beautiful. Real quickly, I may say, um, some of you may be, look, couples in here may say, you know, but I don't feel the love, I'm not feeling that beautiful fire. Another thing about a fire, you gotta stoke it, right? There are no electric or gas fires in the world of love. <laughs> Only the real thing. You gotta stoke it. I'm gonna guess, talking to the men here, that if you're not feeling that love and that romance and that passion you once did, probably it's on you as the leader in the household And you need to stoke that fire a little bit. And stoking the fire doesn't mean just like, hey, you wanna, you know, do some things later tonight? That's not stoking the fire. I'm, I'm being silly, but like, come on, men, right? You know what I'm talking about. That's not stoking the fire. How can you invest in her? How can you serve her to stoke that fire? Lastly, as we wrap up, where does this book point us? I'm gonna read some of this from my notes just so that I can can finish quickly. Where does this book point us? First point of where it points us, to the healing arms of Jesus. To the healing arms of Jesus. Say, where in the heck are you getting that? (laughs) It's a fair question. For so many of us, because of our own sin or the sin of others on you, this book, the Song of Songs, brings feelings of guilt, hurt, maybe opens up some scars. Maybe it's affected your marriage or your identity as a person because of those physical or, excuse me, um, literal or like metaphorical scars. I want to quickly and lovingly tell you that Jesus willingly went to the cross, died for you and rose again and now has his own scars so he can heal your scars. While your hurt or experience in sexual sin may explain some things about you and your story, it certainly does not define you. You are not defined by your sexual sin. If you are in Christ, the cross of Jesus is what defines you. As a child of God, the story of Jesus defines you, and he can redeem any story. So if the Song of Songs seems like a hopeless song for you or a shaming song for you, you need to remember that through the cross, God sings a song of love, forgiveness, healing, redemption, and hope over you, amen. But you gotta go to his arms. You can't stand back here like, ah, I just gotta keep this into myself, no. You can't experience the healing arms of Jesus if you don't run to him. So run to him. By the way, you can't run to him for healing and keep delving into your sin. <laughs> Leave it, as what repentance is, turning from your sin and running to Jesus. The second place this book points us, very similarly, to the soul-filling, F-I-L-L-I-N-G, so not feeling like I feel happy, but to the soul fulfilling love of God. While God's love for his people is in no way sexual, of course, the beauty, delight, and love of human relationships is to point us to the ultimate love of God for his people. Because of Jesus, God delights in those who are in Christ and we will delight in him forever. So I wanna say this, like married or unmarried, no amount of sex, Whatever satisfy your soul. How can you say that? You've probably, you, maybe I've had more than you. I don't know. How can I say that? The book of Ecclesiastes. Had to throw it in there somewhere, right? The book of Ecclesiastes. There it is. Solomon says, I've tried it all. I've tried the parties. I've tried alcohol. I've tried lots of sex. It doesn't fulfill you. So he ends the book. So the end of all things, man, fear God, keep his commandments. That's the best way to live life. No amount of sex is going to satisfy you. Why can no human fulfill you like that? That's why people go from person to person or they cheat and they're trying to find satisfaction in sex. The reason they'll never be satisfied is because of what Ecclesiastes chapter seven says. Verse 21, you don't have to turn there because we got to finish. But chapter 7, 21 says, do not take to heart, oh, verse 20, sorry. <laughs> verse 20, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. The reason a human cannot fulfill your desires no matter how much you have sex with them or try to find it somewhere else is because every single human on this planet is broken. We are broken, sinful People. And as a broken human, if you go and try to find ultimate satisfaction and uh, fulfillment and purpose in another broken person, it just leads to more brokenness. So, to the unwed person, it is perfectly normal and appropriate and even godly to desire to find someone That that is good and healthy. As a man to want to find a wife and as a woman to want to find a husband, like that is good and normal. But don't put that pursuit above your pursuit of God because anyone that is not named Jesus, they're always gonna fail to satisfy you. Pursue Christ first. Married folks, remember that spouses make great spouses, but a spouse makes a terrible God if you try to find this ultimate fulfillment and longing and purpose and hope in in your spouse, no matter how much sex you have, you will be disappointed because as Ecclesiastes says, all of us are sinners. All of us are broken. So don't look to a person in love, words, or sex for satisfaction that only God can give. If I could sum up all of today's message into one truth, it's this. No love song you'll ever hear will satisfy you like the love song sung out on Calvary. No love song you'll ever hear will satisfy you like the love song sung out on Calvary. As the worship team comes up to to close this, three ways I'm gonna ask you to respond. One, maybe this morning, by God's grace, you're realizing your brokenness, your sinfulness, and that you've never come into a relationship with Jesus by grace through faith. The reality is no matter how broken and sinful you are or your past is, whatever it may be, Jesus offers grace and forgiveness for you. Like we said earlier, turn from your sin and run to his healing arms for salvation. If that's you this morning, as soon as we sing this song and the service is over, There's gonna be some pastors down front that would love to talk with you and pray with you and talk about what that looks like. Or even, gosh, during this song, commit your life to Christ. If you're watching online, click that connect button or shoot us a message. Let us know that you're trusting Christ for salvation. Some of you as believers have hurts and scars because of sexual sin. And this morning you need to, one, maybe be honest with some people, find some accountability, but also you just need to run to the healing arms of Jesus. And may this song be an opportunity to do that. And then lastly, and this would include all of us, especially as believers, take a moment to ask God for help in this area. Whether it be with your actions or learning to compliment your spouse more or just having the right mindset to remember that sex is not God, but it is a gift. It's not gross, it's a gift. Jesus is where I'm gonna find my greatest pleasure. No love song you'll ever hear Will satisfy you like the love song sung out on Calvary. I'm going to give you just a moment to pray and talk with the Lord, and then we're going to sing as we close out the service. If you are encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.